Well, good evening, everybody, uh, including those who are watching us online tonight. It's great to have you with us this evening. I'm sure St. Paul would have loved the opportunity to uh, broadcast uh, his uh, preaching and conversation from his cell to his friends across the world. Uh, well, he didn't have our technology, but he still managed to share fellowship with, um, with the Christians of his day. Um, and the words that he used were still reading today and we're still blessed by 2,000 years later. Shall we just pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you for St. Paul. We thank you for his lockdown, which gave him the space and the impetus um, to write uh, such powerful words about you and about your Son, our Saviour, Lord Jesus. We thank you for uh, this passage, well, this letter that we're studying uh, this term and the passage that we've just read tonight. We ask, Lord, that you would open our ears to hear you, our minds to understand, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us. Come, Holy Spirit. Touch us now. Ready us for what you want to say and do amongst us tonight. Well, these last two weeks, we've been looking at chapter one of Paul's letter to the Philippian church. Uh, you've had a good intro already uh, into uh, the context into which St. Paul is writing. So I'm only going to say this, that Paul is in prison. He's writing to one of his congregations. And uh, on his mind, as we were hearing in the first week, is how to endure suffering, how to strengthen fellowship together, and how to overflow with joy. All good COVID themes for us. And last week, uh, Jonathan was showing us that Paul's top priorities, as he's writing to his friends from prison, are these, uh, these three things. To share the gospel, to grow your fellow disciples, and to watch your own behavior. These are the three things that really matter. And they kind of plat with those three themes I mentioned first. I was uh, attending a CPS webinar this week. It was a delight not to be uh, hosting it, but just to go along as a, as a leader and, and listen. Um, and it was entitled Leadership in Times of Uncertainty. And one insight that I brought away is that times of stress can really intensify what's kind of bubbling along underneath. Old sores and contentions can erupt with fresh force. I don't know if you've seen that in your workplace or in your home, um, but I wouldn't be surprised if you had. Uh, certainly, I've heard of it happening around the country in some PCCs and congregations, but lockdown arrives and old disagreements suddenly, unexpectedly, seem to rip the fellowship of the, or the fabric of the fellowship of the congregation apart. Perhaps that, that is what Paul was seeing in uh, the church in Philippi. Persecution and suffering has, arri has, has arrived, and rather than people patiently caring for and supporting one another as you sort of hope that they would do, actually, what one kind of anticipates usually happens, fight, fights have broken out instead. Well, Paul's going to talk more about this later in the chapter, so we'll hear about that in future weeks, and he's going to be naming names in chapter 4. But for now, he's just going to show them and us 
how and why we should set aside our own frustrated agendas and give place to one another. The three themes that we had at the beginning again. As you endure suffering, you need to strengthen fellowship, and you can only do that because of the joy that you've been given. So, the structure of Paul's argument in these 11 verses is going to be like this. Verses 1 to 2a, if you've got it in front of you, because of the joy that you've received and the joy that you're going to give to me, verses 2b to 4, don't set yourself over others, but align your spirits together. Verse 5 to 11, by following the model of Jesus. And we all know what that model was, don't we? And we also know what the outcome of that model was too. We're going to start at the end, verses 5 to 11. There are so many purple passages in St. Paul, but this is surely one of the purplest. It expresses so well all that we know of Jesus' love and humility and sacrifice and what it has won for us from the heart of God. Christ Jesus, found in the likeness of God, didn't consider equality with God a thing to be grasped. Indeed, as I remember one Bible scholar saying, whom Jonathan and I heard together many years ago, the Greeks suggest that it was because he was found in the likeness of God that the status of Godhead wasn't a thing that Jesus needed to hold on to. That loving, stooping, serving humility is, is part of the very nature, the, the very essence of God. And so it drove Jesus to empty himself, as the phrase goes on, taking the form of a servant. And of course, we saw his servant-like humility throughout his life caring for the needs and despairs of those around him, healing and healing and healing until he was utterly exhausted, patiently teaching his disciples again and again, cooking for them, washing their feet. And then, of course, Jesus went so much further. For being found in human form, he humbled himself, being obedient to death, even death on a cross. Those few words speak so powerfully to us, don't they, of his goodness, his compassion, his courage, and his sacrifice. And all this for us, to rescue our broken, stained, wicked, alienated selves, to break down that barrier that was between us and God, and to draw us back into the welcoming, joyful, intimate embrace of our Heavenly Father. Not surprising, then, that therefore God has highly exalted him and given to him the name that is above every name. Can you feel your hearts thrilling? That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth in this congregation, in every congregation, in every heart across the world, whether or not they have chosen to worship. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ 
is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Hallelujah. When I read these words, at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. I can't stop singing it. Dum, 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 dum. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess him, king of glory now. It gives me that same sense of glad triumph and fierce joy as the words in the passage. And I guess that's not surprising because scholars are pretty sure that what we're reading in verses 5 to 11 is actually the very first Christian hymn that we have recorded. Either Paul wrote it himself to share with with, uh, his friends or he's quoting a chorus that they already knew. So as he quotes to them this powerful reminder of the the humble, loving sacrifice of Jesus from them, he's also taking them back into their fellowship together as they worship together. And, and, And we in our kind of lockdown, separate households are reminded by this of the times when we worship together and we felt that sense of common bond. Well, that really works for me because when I read these works, I'm not just reading, you know, some words from the Bible that I know well. I'm also reading one of the readings that Rachel, my wife, and I had at our wedding. And indeed, I discover that Jonathan and Juliet had at their wedding too. So the readings are taking us back into that incredible, incredibly powerful moment. And more than that, we sang that hymn at our wedding. So when I sing the hymn, I'm not just thinking of kind of fellowship with my fellow Christians, fellow disciples, I'm also thinking of that amazing, life-transforming moment when God the Father gave to me the one with whom I would share my life for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, in COVID lockdown and in rule of six, in times of ease and times of struggle and I'm sharing not just this powerful commitment that I gave to the Lord Jesus at that point and and through my life and not just the emotions that are in my heart when when I sing this song I'm also taking myself back to the people that I worshipped with on that moment and remembering all that Jesus has done for me. So if you find yourself feeling grumpy or snipey with your fellow Christians, your fellow Christian leaders, members of your Christian family, Paul is saying, try to live up to that Jesus whom you worship together, whom you love because he has loved you, because he gave up so much for you, even though you yourself have often been wrong-headed, obstinate, irritating, and plain not worth his time. Think of the name of Jesus to whom you've committed your life. And what a beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus. Death could not hold you. The veil 
tore before you. You silenced the boast of sin and grave. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. The name of Jesus. And it's this powerful, wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus which shows us how we should treat each other. And gives us the motivation and the strength to do it. The joy of his presence, that fierce joy in Jesus' name, burns away our self-concern and gives us encouragement from being united together in Christ and with Christ and comfort from his love, which in turn wells up and turns into overflowing of tenderness and compassion. If we were to follow the grueling model of Christ's self-sacrifice for each other, from guilty, from guilt, sorry, or from duty, what a dreadful road that would be to walk. And we would become dry and rigid and resentful in our self-sacrifice. I've done this for you. You have to deserve it. But drawing joy and comfort and strength from the deep wells of Christ's sacrificial love will spill over in sparkling rills of cheerful kindness and self-denying tenderness for the irritating, fallible, idiotic Christians who live around us. We'll see that the Jesus who loved and died for us also loved and died for them. That will bind us together in the spirit, however opposed we may feel in the flesh. Well, so what? So, says St. Paul, if you are loved and comforted by Jesus and have discovered you have such a powerful bond together and have learned compassionate tenderness for one another, then make my joy complete as I wait here in prison for news of you by becoming a church again, the body of Christ. Align yourselves together. Become like-minded. Have the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Does that mean that you're going to agree about everything on the PCC agenda? Or how you want to spend your shared money? No, of course not. But it does mean that we should do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. I hardly need to apply that bit, do I? This is one of the toughest bits of the Bible. Not because we don't understand it, but on the contrary, because we know exactly what it means in our context, our situation in our workplace, in our home group, in our family, in our household. We know it, but we don't like it. Probably you can instantly think of a person or a situation that you need to show a bit more humility towards and you need to value their interests above your own. Well, I certainly can. Actually, we can still misunderstand this and get it wrong. What this passage doesn't mean is that we should, and it has sometimes been used to justify this, we should lie down under any abuse that anyone throws at us. That is not what Jesus did. He didn't collude with wickedness, but in his love he named the sin he saw 
And then in obedience to God, he set aside his own comfort and status. And that for him meant letting himself be crucified because God's purposes asked it of him to work eternal blessing for his persecutors and for the whole broken world if they would receive it. But we are not Jesus. And our crucifixion will not redeem the world. We too need to be ready lovingly and courageously to name sin and to seek God's best blessing for those who do sin and to listen obediently to God for how that might happen. But with lives lived so much at home this year, we are all aware, as we've never been before, how for some people, home has become literally a prison in these last five months. A hateful jailer makes home and the lives of those who live with that person a hell. Accepting and living in such domestic abuse isn't showing tender compassion. Indeed, it's the abuser who needs to hear and learn the severest lesson from this passage. We know now that domestic abuse hidden from the world is as prevalent in congregations as it is in the community. So there may well be some of you here tonight or listening tonight who have or are experiencing this. Know that this passage does not compel you to stay in such a hell, but rather to seek the comfort of Jesus' love through the fellowship of other Christians, other believers, praying for God's searing goodness to break into that secret darkness and Jesus' tough compassion to transform it. And the way to that is almost certainly through stepping out into safety and allowing such behavior to be confronted, challenged, and supportively changed. If you are in such a situation, then know that St. Paul's here, St. Paul's Church, is ready to support you. You need to get a message to Jonathan or to Jan Pringle, and they will find a discreet way to listen to you and support you to make the right decisions to protect yourself and others and to let Jesus' holy name and his holy love into your situation. Well, happily, we are not all in such controlling, manipulative relationships, but we all have the potential to treat one another in that way. And so Paul says to us again, look not to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. For church leaders, doing this is a grueling and relentless and sometimes a really bruising experience. Vicars who love Jesus and his congregation can end up filling every corner of their diary with care for others and neglecting their families. They secretly give way beyond their means to plug financial gaps that they know about and to show the way to their congregation. They are first in and last out. And they do the jobs that nobody else wants to do. They set aside status and they honor others. 
They're often first to apologize, even when it seems clear that somebody else's apology might be even more appropriate. They have to be calm and mature and deny themselves any self-indulgent strops. And beyond all this, they can never set down that whole weight of need and pain which they carry in their heart for the congregation that Jesus has given to them. Paul experienced all of this. And I know of many other countries, around, uh, many other vicars, sorry, around the country who have experienced the same. But they love their congregation. And nothing gives them more pleasure, like St. Paul, than to see Christ's people united and growing in mutual kindness and generosity. And I see this quality in Jonathan and in Adam. And I see the way that they offer themselves in self-outpouring for your sakes. And that's why I am so grateful to be handing on responsibility to Adam for the congregation that I have left, St. Jude's in South Sea, and feel so privileged to sit under Jonathan's leadership here. Some members of our congregation at St. Jude's understood all of this, bless them. And they were kind and generous to me and to my family. Sometimes it was anonymous and sometimes it was face-to-face. -face. Gifts of money, presents, cards of appreciation. None of these things were required or expected or looked for. But when they did come, they were such a solace for those who seek to follow Jesus in self-denying love for his people. So, I just want to encourage you that as you, as we grow in loving kindness towards one another, let's not neglect our leaders towards whom much of our past collective irritation and even anger may well have been shared and directed. As we grow in these words of St. Paul about our Lord Jesus, let's look for those whom we can bless, whose needs we can meet, and whose cares we can uh, console and, and give solace for. And let's bless our leaders too. Think how we can encourage them for all that they give to us. So as we close, I just want to give you a moment to bathe in Jesus' love as we ready ourselves for communion when we'll share again the story of Christ's sacrifice for us. If you're at home now and you just happen to have a kind of candle, you know, on the mantelpiece to hand and a match, why not just light a candle now and take a few moments and use the, the brightness of that candle to think of Jesus' glory and the warmth of the candle to think of his love and the, and, the, um, and the burning quality of the candle to think of him igniting his love in our hearts and burning away the dross of ourselves, our self-absorption. Let's focus on him. And then let's ask him, for whom and in what way we should be following his path of self-denial. Strengthened by his comfort, 
by his love, by his uniting spirit, and as his tender compassion works its way out through us all.